Welcome to the Coach Rate Corner, the podcast where professionals like you and I talk all things collaboration without misinformation or judgment. I'm Gage, speech language pathologist, private practice owner, and your host. Thank you for joining me and my guests as we dive into the ways to collaborate to better the lives of the clients we serve. My hope is that you walk away with the tools and the knowledge to achieve more collaboration and less competition. All right, let's get collaborating. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode. I am so excited to have Jamie Perez on today. Hi, Jamie. Hi. She is a feeding specialist, and she's going to talk to us all about feeding. And so I'm so excited to talk to her today. So let's start off the episode with just having Jamie tell us a little bit about what led her to the field. Hi. Um, yeah. So I have been in the field for about 11 years now. Um, I am the owner of Thriving Joy Pediatric Therapy. And I started my feeding journey in grad school. Um, prior to becoming a speech therapist, I was an event planner um, mm. and didn't find a lot of fulfillment in doing that. I knew I wanted to work <laughs> with kiddos and I met a speech therapist and the rest was history. I went back to, I went back to grad school and here I am. Wow. So you said you got some experience while in grad school? Yes. Yeah. So my externships, um, I think it was my first externship was in a pediatric hospital working with, um, trach and vent babies, um, and helping them feed so that they could go home. Awesome. So that's like unheard of, at least like where I'm from, like to get a placement like that. So did you ask for that? Um, yes. So I did. Unfortunately, the area where I was at, there was really only one pediatric hospital placement. So I actually drove into Washington, D.C., um, which was over an hour commute at the time. So I, I mean, when I knew I wanted to be pediatric medical, um, I, I was willing to do anything. Like I was going to do anything to get that pediatric medical placement. So that's how it goes. I drove an hour to one of my placements yeah. too. I don't miss that. I really love the experience, but no. don't miss it. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So what what kind of settings have you worked in? Has it been all kind of that pediatric feeding? Yeah, I've done outpatient. I've done intensive feeding clinics. Um, I've done acute care, NICU, and then I'm doing private practice now. And I'm st- I still have my foot in a couple of NICUs. Gotcha. So is that more like PRN in the NICU right now? Yeah. Yep. Cool. So your current role is primarily private practice. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, I left the medical setting. I started to leave the medical setting a year ago um, because I wanted to just have more freedom to um, pursue what I wanted to pursue, suggest what I wanted to suggest to my patients and have um, more time with my patients, um, take a more holistic approach to feeding. And I just felt like I was a little bit in a box in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. I broke off. I started my own private practice and then weaned off. Um, Thankfully, I'm in a position where I had the flexibility to go PRN. And now I'm probably at a hospital like one day a month, maybe two days a month. Um, So yeah, I mean, my feeding, my my therapy practice, my private practice, I do everything. Obviously, when you're first starting out mm-hmm. in private practice, I really, you have to establish yourself in your niche. So I'm doing, you know, I have articulation, I have late mm-hmm. talkers, um, but I do do a lot of infant feeding, lots of like pre and post tongue tie, um, mm. release therapy, um, bottle refusal. And then in this process, I went ahead and got my certified lactation counselor um, designation so that I could start to kind of bridge that gap between like baby and mom and understand both sides of that dyad. Super interesting. I've been seeing that certification kind of on everyone who's like 
it's in that specialty. So how did you, did you get the lactation consultant once you were in your private practice or during like the hospital days? I started it before um, I left the hospital because I was working with breastfeeding moms in the hospital and didn't mm-hmm. feel like I knew enough. Um, but, but then I finished it. I had no, I had no idea it was going to go into <laughs> private practice. Like that was, I had no idea that that was going to happen. So this has all been like a whirlwind of a year. So I decided to go get it so I could support our IBCLCs in the hospital. Um, but then I decided to go private practice very, um, abruptly, I guess would be the <laughs> right word. Um, and so I finished my, um, I finished the course while I was in private practice. So had you talked to me a year and one month ago and said, are you going to ever start a private practice? I would have said no. <laughs> and here I am about to celebrate one year being open. So this was, it was not what I thought was going to happen. Oh my goodness. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So I feel like that's everyone's story, right? Like they're kicked into private practice because of Mm -hmm. whatever reason, right? But like, that's not what we went to grad school for, most of us anyway. Um, I feel like I'm a unicorn. I feel like I I remember telling all of my um, cohort members, oh, I'm going into private practice. And then being like, what? Like, you're not going to just go to a hospital? I'm like, well, I'll probably start off that way, but that's my main goal. So, but the most people that I meet- (laughs) Yeah, I kind of always knew I wanted to do that. Um, But most people are like, yeah, I just kind of was kicked into it. That's most people's story. Mm -hmm. So what does a typical, I feel like everyone wants to know this. What is a typical day in the life? You can kind of give us um, NICU world, um, outpatient world, and then private practice. So that's a loaded question. What does that typical day look like in the world of feeding? Um. So from an outpatient standpoint, I was dealing, well, I guess that's not true. I was dealing with, depending on the hospital, like a lot of more like um, sensory feeders, picky feeders. So like when I was Mm -hmm. in the intensive feeding program, I was dealing with like severely selective feeders. And I was on an interdisciplinary team with doctors and OT and PT um, and behavior psychology. So it was a, a full team approach. Um, wow. outpatient similar. Um, but you know, it's, it's a lot of my like picky feeders, I would say. And then I was also having a lot of babies that were being discharged from the NICU. So outpatient is a lot of NICU graduates mm. in the hospital that I was at in particular, I had a cardiac unit. So lots of cardiac babies, lots of, um, tube fed babies, but in the NICU kind of like my typical day, is it's a lot of interacting with nurses. So you Mm -hmm. really got to be, you got to make friends with the nurses. (laughs) Um, And, you know, everyone's on a schedule. Like that's how NICU functions is with schedules. You know, you have so many babies, you have to stagger when they need care, when they need to be fed. So you're looking at very specific feeding times and it's like a puzzle piece of you have this list of babies. You got to figure out who is highest priority and fit them in based on their feeding times. And there isn't a lot of wiggle room. Like whatever the baby's feeding time is, that's the feeding time. You can't, you right. can't shift it or change it. Like, cause that affects everything that goes on that day. Um, but in NICU, it's a lot of parent education, a lot of nursing education, a lot of physician education, Mm -hmm. And looking at how to, you know, position the baby, make the environment, you know, such that they can handle feeding because it's a very stressful environment for them. Um, You know, and then from from an outpatient or from a private practice standpoint, I feel like I'm dealing more with – babies that are struggling to breastfeed but mm. it's but it's not the mom's supply issue mm-hmm. uh, it's more of some kind of baby centered challenge typically oral motor dysfunction that i'm seeing um pre-release or post tongue tie release i would say a good chunk of what i get are babies that are post tongue tie release 
Mm. And they haven't made any progress because they didn't have proper follow-up post-release. And family is now, you know, a month or two months out and still struggling and not sure what to do. And they go to Dr. Google and say, (laughs) who can help me with eating? And they get speech therapists. And then they go down the rabbit hole and realize like, oh, speech therapists do feeding. I should probably find one of those. So that's what I'm getting a lot in private practice. And I'm hoping my goal is to change that and provide Mm. more education and more presence in my area, at least so that parents find, find me first instead Mm -hmm. of like going to Dr. Google to find out what we do. Gotcha. So that was going to be my question. How do you market yourself to families? Is And you're saying it's a lot of that they kind of find you and you're wanting to shift it to to what exactly? Because I, I feel like you're kind of like ahead of the game here. <laughs> well, they, I mean, they find me too late is really mm-hmm. what it comes down to. Is they're seeing all these other providers um, that provide some level of help, but ultimately like There's a lot of providers out there, but they're not like feeding and swallowing specialists Mm -hmm. with babies Um, or the issue with the baby is bigger than just feeding. And they don't recognize that. They don't recognize Mm. that the role that like um, the gastrointestinal system plays or the role that the airway plays, um, you know, or just the oral structures, they don't recognize what's going on. And so I, I end up being like that last resource that the parents Mm -hmm. find instead of the first resource. And a lot of that's because people don't realize that speech therapists do feeding. Right. And it's, and it reminds me of like AAC, like a lot of people don't know that we do that. I remember telling my parents like, oh, I really love this part of speech. And they're like, oh, you could do that. That's you. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I feel like that's a lot of things in our field and we got to change that. We need some better marketing team (laughs) for speech. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So it sounds like, and I knew this was the case. So that's why I have you on this podcast because my podcast is all about collaboration. Feeding seems like collaboration city. So tell us a little bit about, mm-hmm. you know, how you're dealing with the the parents who have that high anxiety. I, I've never had a child, but I can assume that is super like stressful time. And then, you know, doctors, I don't know if you're even with some school age kiddos with feeding, other therapists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I refer, I try and refer a lot. Um, the, the collaboration with doctors is not a hundred percent like where I would love to see it be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I refer to them and their expertise for information to help guide me. Um, but I don't necessarily think they always like take our perspective and listen to, to us and the things that we're seeing. Um, so I'm referring kids a lot of times to ear, nose, and throat or otolaryngology. Mm-hmm. I'm referring kids to gastroenterology often. Mm-hmm. Um, pediatric dentists refer to pediatric dentists often. And I collaborate a lot with chiropractors. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be one of one of the one of the disciplines that wants to collaborate the most I've found mm-hmm. is chiropractors, um, which is also part of why I left the hospital because you know, you say you suggest chiropractic care in the hospital and you get looked at like you have 10 heads. Yeah. And like yeah. It's <laughs> like it's absolute voodoo. Which to be fair, I was a little like <laughs> early in my practice, like, I don't know about this with babies, but the more I like started to be open-minded and talk to chiropractors, take my own kid to a chiropractor, I started to realize the benefits. Um, but I didn't have the freedom in the hospital to really like discuss that, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I collaborate a lot with chiropractors in the area. Um, you know, I'll go in and I'll see a kid and it's very, obvious that they have some airway issues um, or just, you know, I have a kid right now. He's very hyponasal. He's Mm -hmm. always congested. He has massive tonsils in the back of his throat and he's a super, super picky eater and he gags a lot and he's never seen ear, nose and throat ever. Um, You know, I have lots of kids that are dealing with like severe constipation 
Um, mm. I had a kid a month ago who had excessive chewing and prolonged meals. Like this poor nine-year-old has lived his whole life like this. And he'd never been referred to a gastroenterologist because everybody said it was it was behavioral. Well, mm-hmm. the kid has eosinophilic esophagitis and he's being treated for it now. And he's doing so much better. And it's so sad to me that, you know, it took us, it took nine years for someone to say, you're not just picky. You're not just mm-hmm. being, you're not, it's not just you're like, there are medical reasons why this happens. And the body is really smart. You know, there is a brain gut connection Mm -hmm. and if something doesn't make you feel great, like your brain says, well, let's do something different. And I think people underestimate, you know, how smart our body is and that, you know, babies, like babies are making these kinds of, you know, they're crying, they're fussing, they're arching, they have all these symptoms and their body is letting them know, like, this isn't working. And you'll see babies just start, like, refusing a bottle. Yeah. And because their body is saying, like, this isn't this isn't working for me. So, I mean, the doctors are – I have to collaborate with them. I need, I need their information so that I can give the best care and so that I can give care that's needed. You know, like, when I see a kid come through that's clearly – there's something medical going on, I – it's, it's not a good use of their time or money to come see me week after week after week if we aren't going to go address, like, the underlying medical cause for their feeding difficulties. Oh, my gosh. You said so many things just now. <laughs> like, I don't even know where to go. Oh, my gosh. I, like, yes, you are preaching. So I am so thankful for my time um, in acute care is with adults, but – Nevertheless, Mm -hmm. I just learned so much about referring. And so I'm in the schools now and I see kids sometimes I'm like, oh, you need to go here or, oh, you should probably have went here years ago, you know, and I'm so thankful for, I always tell like um, new SLPs, you should really try to at least PR in a little bit because you just learn so much that only experience can teach you. So I love that whole referring out um, point that you made. And then the brain gut connection. That's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother day. I actually have the book, the brain gut connection, I think it's called. Yeah. I mean, it just like opened my eyes to like everything just in my own personal life. So yes, like I said, you made so many points there. So take me back to, I think you said a nine-year-old. So are you communicating with school professionals too, like doing diet changes and all that kind of stuff? So I don't find a lot of school SLPs working with feeding. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like I find a lot of kids. I mean, I guess I do have some in the daycares, like picky feeders. Mm -hmm. And I I do communicate. I try and communicate with them. Um, Like it's a lot of daycares. So like right now it's mostly like, three and four year olds, I would say is, are my feeding kids. Um, I mean, it's, it's about, again, it's, it goes back to educating the teachers, you know, like Mm -hmm. when is it, when is it a behavior and when is it not? Or Mm -hmm. when is, I think sometimes teachers mean well and they are trying to be encouraging, but sometimes they're a little pushy. Um, (laughs) and that doesn't always like, help support my therapy if they continue Mm -hmm. to have these kind of like negative, like pressuring feeding experiences. So I try and educate like, you know, the teachers as much as I can about where to encourage or where to not, or what for this child is a really big deal and worth celebrating, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what the next step is. Um, I've more of my, my interactions are probably with the parents, um, than Mm -hmm. the schools. I feel like a lot of these kids, like they just go to school and they just either they don't eat yeah, or they get, or their parents are sending food so that they can like, you know, function with their peers. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I don't see a lot of like school intervention, especially when they get to elementary school, like the daycares have a lot more um, collaboration with them. But once they get to elementary school, I don't see a lot of 
um, intervention as far as feeding goes, like happening in the schools. Gotcha. Yeah. And I would agree. I know I remember, was it a podcast or a presentation maybe through ASHA that somebody was doing it somewhere? And I was like, I was so fascinated because I had never heard of like feeding in the schools and like dysphagia or anything like that. And I agree. I don't see that much um, these days. So like I said, feeding is like collaboration city and you have definitely confirmed that thought for me were you always comfortable like collaborating across these different fields and professionals parents etc etc or was it something that you had to build over time um I mean I'll definitely say like I think my prior career as much as they're totally different my prior career as an event planner was coordinating mm-hmm. a bunch of people to be in the same place at the same time to achieve <laughs> similar goals. So like, mm-hmm. like that helped me to coordinate a bunch of different people. Um, I think early on, I was not real confident collaborating with the physicians. Like in my mind, I was just like, you're a doctor. You know so much more than I do. You went to school so much longer than I do. You know, like I kind of just need to like defer to what you say, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't do very often (laughs) anymore. Um, And I mean, I also will say like having my own children changed my interactions with parents significantly. Mm. Um, Just like firsthand experiencing like the just the sleep deprivation and Mm -hmm. the hormone changes and, you know, having, feeling like I was not like my having like literally out of body experiences where you're like (laughs) looking at the situation with a new baby going like, I don't know this woman. Like, I don't know who she is. Like, when am I going to come back into myself? Um, Yeah. I, it definitely changed my approach with moms, it's completely changed my recommendations. I still look back at some of like the early recommendations I made to moms. And I'm like, that was crazy to actually think that they could achieve some of the things that you are suggesting, like with two kids in the house under the age of two. And, you know, like it just makes you stop and say like, how realistic is what I'm recommending? You know, there's an ideal, but then there's also real life. And so I'm like, now I'm much more careful to say like, this is ideal. Like this would be, you know, the unicorn for things for us to achieve, but there's real life and that's, that is okay. And, um, I'm just giving you this information so that you have it, but I don't like, I, I try to give parents affirmation all the time that like, it's okay to not be perfect. And it's okay if you don't achieve this every single day. Um, so that has definitely changed like my approach significantly. Oh my goodness. I feel like I just got like a therapy session. Like that is so important. That is so important. I don't, I don't have kids. And so I constantly am calling. So like I'm one of six children and I'm in right in the middle. So I have some older siblings who are like, who like, Yeah, who have um, kids and everything. And so I'm constantly calling them being like, okay, so I don't have kids. So like, help me with this. And like, what do I recommend? What could you actually do? Like, like you were saying, like, what's realistic? Because unless you've lived it, it can be kind of like, you know, we do our best with the recommendations, but we have not lived that life. And especially like, living life with a child who has autism or a child who's a picky feeder or a child, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The list goes on. Right. Um, so that's such a, such a strong point. Um, and something that I try to think of all the time. So what discipline do you collaborate with the most? And when I say discipline, I mean, that includes parents, caregivers, et cetera. I mean, the caregivers are like my primary, you know, um, I, lo- I love my, like, I love new parents. Like, I just Aww. love working with them so, so, so much. Um, like, even if I can just bring, like, one moment where they feel like they're doing a great job, I'm like, okay, I've achieved my goal for the day. Um, <laughs> like I said, chiropractors have been, like, a great collaboration partner. Other private practice owners are, like, 
my my network. Um, mm. So other speech therapists, like I work with other speech therapists all the time because we all have different lens, you know. Um, mm-hmm. There's a physical therapist in the area that I collaborate with a ton because um, mm-hmm. again, it's it's same patient, completely different lens of like what we're looking at. Um, I have found some gastroenterologists that, you know, I have a really great relationship with and, um, you know, that we can bounce ideas off of each other. And then, um, pulmonology, I have a really, really great pulmonologist that, um, like, again, he's always just giving me research and information and like other perspectives of how to look at like the whole child and the whole, like their whole situation, so like I feel like I've built a network of like providers that are that are good collaborators. Um, but it's like when you're doing feeding, I mean, really when you're working with any kid, but like especially feeding, and then when you're working with an infant, um, and then I tend to obviously like attract some of the more medically complex infants, you have to you have to work with any provider that's in there like in their group, you have to be mm-hmm. willing to at least try to collaborate with them and at least reach out and establish some kind of like, you have to at least be willing to try. You can't just like live in a box by yourself. Right. So as a private practitioner now, how do you communicate with all of these different like MDs? So like, you know, when I was in the the hospitals, I just page them, you know, really quick with my question. That's not mm-hmm. the luxury you have anymore. So how do you kind of manage all of that? Um, I mean, I, like I can call their offices a lot of, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've built, I built really good relationships in the hospital. So some of the physicians, like I have their personal cell phone numbers and like my pulmonologist, I was texting with my pulmonologist yesterday, um, (laughs) not about like, you know, obviously not with like patient information, but you know, just this like broad picture of like, you know here's, here's kind of like what I'm dealing with. Like, and you know, within 10 seconds, he's like texting me research papers (laughs) that, you know, deal with the population that I'm working with right now. Um, we have a lot of events together. So I try and do events with people. I run a, um, feeding support group once a month at the local chiropractor's office, um, that I collaborate with the most. Um, I, just did like a mommy meet and greet with like one of the sleep mm. consultants in my area. Um, I'd like to collaborate more with like IBCLCs, so International Board Certified Lactation Consultants. That's definitely that's a discipline that I would like to have a little bit more interaction with. Um, and same with the pediatric dentists. Like that's another area where I would like to have a little more like constant contact with them. Um, just cause I see so many of their patients. Gotcha. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about the IBCLC you said, can you, mm-hmm. so yeah. you're, so you, what's the difference between you and them? Okay. So the CLC is a 45 hour course. Um, there's really no prerequisites. So anyone could go take, could go take the CLC course and take the CLC exam and become a certified lactation counselor and not necessarily have ever like worked with babies, which was kind Mm -hmm. of eye opening to me. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas like a board certified lactation counselor, um, they have bachelor's level courses that they take and then there is additional coursework and then they have to have um, a mentor or mentors but they have to have a certain number of hours like hands-on hours working with like moms and babies um gotcha. and it's a lot. I can't think of how many hours it is off the top of my head it's a lot it's a yeah. lot of hours. it's kind of like us doing externships um Mm. they have to do that which gives them you know if I have a mom come to me and it's clearly like a very complex like breastfeeding challenge that is likely more specific 
to mom, um, then I will often refer to the IBCLC because when it comes to, as far as like breast, they have more knowledge, Mm. um, in, in that realm. But I think when it comes to like baby, and this is, I mean, this isn't, I'm not saying this for every IBLCLC, right. But Mm -hmm. in general, like we have a better foundation for like the baby and the baby's anatomy and function Mm. and, um, swallowing and airway and GI system, like the full system of a baby and of swallowing. So I find that, you know, when it comes to the baby, I have a little bit more understanding when that, when it's a more of a baby issue, but if it's more of a mom breast issue, Mm -hmm. then I tend to defer to IBCLC because they have, they just have far more like experience. Interesting. So what professions typically go for that other than speech therapists? You know, I don't know. Um, a lot of nurses, like, so Mm. there's NICU nurses that I know that are also IBCLCs. Um, most of the, like, if you are an IBCLC at the hospital, most of the IBCLCs that I knew at the hospital, like that, that was what they were. Mm. Um, so I don't know what draws them to that profession, you know? Um, yeah, I I could see where, I loved kids. I loved babies. I could see where that would have drawn me. Like, had I known, I didn't even know about it. Like right. when I was going to school to be a speech therapist and then found out that we did feeding, um, I, I was in my, I don't know, I was young and I wasn't thinking about like breastfeeding. So I didn't know anything <laughs> about, I didn't even know IBC, I didn't even know CLC was a thing. Um, so I didn't, it never occurred to me like, oh, that that's something you could do for a living. But I think had I known about it, like I probably would have been drawn to that too. So I'm not sure. I don't know. I feel like I've met a few that have like a psychology undergrad and they just knew they wanted to help people. So. Yeah. I definitely feel like that's one of those things you've got to hear about it because like no one's just saying, oh, go be yeah. a IBCLC. <laughs> um, so nope. speaking of like nope. serve. Speaking of like certifications and things like that, do you have any kind of go-to courses if there's some new SLPs listening to this or seasoned SLPs who want to get into feeding, what should they be doing? I know SLS is a big one. Any other recommendations? So I think from a like sensory feeding standpoint, SOS is is a fantastic course. Um, from an infant perspective, Sophie is a little mm-hmm. more like, infant bottle feeding specific. Um, NICU wise, all of Catherine Shaker's courses are fantastic um, and speak a little bit more to like those more complex infants. And then the certification as far as NICU goes for me, I am certified in neonatal touch and massage. Mm. And when I was getting that certification, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know like what what it entailed. And I walked away from that course with like, it's so much more than just massage. I mean, it talks about the whole babies, like the prematurity, their whole system and how the environment, how touch, how everything plays a role in that, that baby's like healing. Um, like that, that certification is absolutely mind blowing. Um, So I would say anyone that's working with like medically complex or fragile infants, like neonatal touch and massage was definitely one of those game changing courses for me. Um, Really like you find, find a mentor. Like at the end of the day, when it comes to feeding, we don't get enough. Like we don't Mm. get enough in in the school system. Um, and then on top of it, like medical feeding, like mm-hmm. we just are not prepared walking out of grad school to, to do anything with that or to really understand like how complex it is or um, like how fragile these kids are. Um, we don't even really get a lot of education on 
on like gastrostomy tubes, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I got any education on gastrostomy (laughs) tubes, honestly, when it came to kids. Um, but I feel like where I've gained the most knowledge is by being in it Mm -hmm. and having other speech therapists and mentors like show me and give me the opportunities to like safely participate in, you know, in the assessment of an infant. Um, but yeah, there's a lot like coursework is, I think coursework is a great foundation Mm -hmm. to get information. Um, but experience or having a mentor because every kid is different. Um, it's, I, it's such, it's such a like troubleshooting game with these Mm. feeding kids. Like no baby is the same and their, their personality is a huge factor in it. Their environment is a huge factor. Like their parents, the belief system, the culture, mm-hmm. like it all plays a role in this, in this child and in their feeding journey. And, you know, I have four-year-olds on my caseload with like severe feeding issues. And, you know, for the life of me, I, I don't know where it came from or where it started or why it started. And for some kids, like it's one moment in time that changes how how they view food and eating Mm. and for some kids there's a clear like long you know underlying condition or situation that contributes to their feeding disorder but at the end of the day like all of these kids are very different and everything about their life impacts how they present and so there isn't just like a blanket way of dealing with the, like all four, I have three four-year-olds on my caseload right now that are picky feeders or, you know, like that have very, very limited diets. Mm-hmm. They all are, they are three different human beings. Mm-hmm. And I can't just plan a feeding session for one of them and say, oh, this is going to be my feeding session for all three of you because right. they are all three so different. That is, wow. I just feel like I'm like getting a crash course right now. This is crazy. Okay. So you said so many things. Okay. Where do I go? Okay. So like you said, every child is completely different, whether they're feeding AAC, whatever. Um, That is so important. So there's no template feeding eval or template like feeding default feeding session, but what is kind of, okay, I'm a new SLP. This is my first feeding client. I've done all the courses. What would you say is kind of that go-to start here, work your way here? Or is there one? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I have a great idea and then I meet the kid and I'm like, oh, they're not going this. This is not going to happen today. Just kidding. Um, I mean... I think you, you have to, you have to, you have to talk to the parents and you have Mm -hmm. to involve the parents. Mm -hmm. Like you, you have, I'm learning, I'm still learning, right? So I'm learning like in private practice. Mm -hmm. I have to kind of interview my families and understand how significant this feeding challenge is. And how much impact it's having on the whole family because it, it ultimately affects everybody. Like feeding is something yeah. we do all day. And I have to know where the parent is in this journey to know like where we can go. Mm. But also to like make sure the parents are ready for mm. what this takes. Um, gotcha. you, know, you can't just address feeding like once a week. And, and hope that that makes a difference. Like there has to be a shift in, in the way feeding is presented in general. And that's like every day, every time they don't have to be perfect, but the family has to be ready to participate in this. Yeah. Um, Which is like ideal with any therapy. Right. But I think like when you are a new SLP going in to like look at a kid's feeding, you have to understand like everything before that feeding challenge mm-hmm. happened. Like 
it's not just whether or not they they were premature or you know did they have a choking experience like you the history matters and you have mm-hmm. to get a really in-depth history because the whole body affects your relationship with food and feeding and there could be something in there that if you're not asking questions about airway and GI mm-hmm. And ear, nose, and throat that you're missing a piece um, that could hinder your progress. You also have to understand like the family's culture mm-hmm. and what role that plays in in how meal time is. Or you have to understand the family's lifestyle too. Um, right. Like you, you, it's not just about feeding. Like it's mm-hmm. not just about how does this child eat. It's about the the family, the environment, and the and the history before you even get to the feeding part. And then you need to be very confident in like an oral motor assessment. Mm. Um, I can't tell you how many times I see kids and it's like they're not chewing. They just need to learn how to chew. And I go in there and I'm like, well, yeah, their oral motor function is like that's where we have to start because we don't have mm. the function right to food that's why we don't chew food because <laughs> we don't we're not able to chew food because we don't have the function um you know like oral motor and then you get to feeding then wow. then you start like with actual food before you even you know there's a lot that you have to figure out um but i would also say like when you're first starting out um is to be very like open minded You know, I think sometimes I have a hard time with this. I go in with a family and things that I'm telling them to me sound like just common sense. Mm. And sometimes I have to take a step back and say like, well, before I was a speech therapist, would that have been common sense? Mm. Probably not. Um, So I think sometimes it's, and I think this is with any profession, it can be really easy to judge a parent and their decisions um, or how they like handle their child, especially Mm -hmm. when you get to a kid who's like now whittled themselves down to like three foods. It can Mm. be so easy to look at the parent and think like, well, how did you, how did this happen? Or like, you know, it must be something that you allowed to happen. Um, And I'll give, you know, you give like recommendations, like offer, you know, offer several like, options with food or give choices and Mm -hmm. it sounds like such a simple thing to to do but like when these parents are in the trenches of life like what sounds like common sense to us isn't you know yeah I mean that's like with a kid that's not talking and we're like you know like model for them (laughs) and to us that seems so natural to like get down in a kid's face and like model speech to them but that that isn't natural like Mm -mm. none of us did that before we went to school to be speech therapists, you know? So I think sometimes you got to step back and like forget everything that, that your speech therapy brain and say to yourself, mm-hmm. like, would, would any of this been common sense to me before? Such great points. I want to go back to the mentorship thing. Um, so I'll just be blunt. I feel like Prior to meeting some of those private practice people who are, like, in the feeding world, I felt like feeding was kind of, like, this gatekeep, this gatekept, is that even a word, thing. And, yeah, yeah, and I felt like it's, like, you either started here and you're never going to get there or, like, you know someone and that kind of thing. So how Mm -hmm. do you suggest that people get this this training, this mentorship when it's kind of, like, this gatekept, I I really don't know if that's a word, gatekept thing. I think and I experienced this in the hospital and I think um, like everybody, everyone's like, well, I want to be a NICU therapist, you know, mm-hmm. um, I want to be a feeding therapist and you, you get there and it, it's almost like scarcity mindset. You, everyone's mm. like, well, all I want to do is feeding, but there's not enough feeding kids to go around. And if I like give up my feeding kids or my feeding knowledge, then this colleague is going to want to pick up, you know, the feeding kids. And then I'm going to have to pick up more of like what I don't want because there's just not enough Mm. to go around. Um, And so I think there's a little bit of that. Like I, cause I've experienced that myself 
Um, I also think there's a little bit of like, it can be nerve wracking to train somebody in feeding. Like Mm. I find this a lot. I have a hard time with it with um, infants. It's like, there's so much to cover and sometimes it can feel so overwhelming to be the person to like trick to teach that. But also like, um, there is a lot of evidence out there, like, but we aren't taught any of this in grad school. Mm -hmm. And then you're in the trenches of your work environment and you're trying to keep up with what's like evidence, but then also it's hard to study babies. So there's also a lot of like gray, you know, like we don't just do swallow studies on babies for fun. So like a lot of, a lot of the information we have, like, yes, there's good evidence, but it's, it's not these big robust studies. And so sometimes I think I myself as a feeding therapist have like had moments where like, I just start to question, like, did I learn this from somebody or was this Mm evidence-based? And then it almost hinders you from wanting to pass information down. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's, it's just, it's such a big, it's such a big undertaking. Um, or, you know, I'll have a student with me like in the hospital and you're dealing with these like extremely tiny, fragile infants mm-hmm. and it can be hard, especially like if, if parents are there to hand that baby over to, this, yeah. I'm just going to teach my grad student how <laughs> to work with this baby. Um, like it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. It really yeah. is. Um, what I would say is that you want to find us. You want to find speech therapists that are even just willing to like talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I learned a lot from just having conversations and having speech therapists that I didn't feel like we're going to like look at me like I didn't know what I was talking about or that mm-hmm. welcomed me asking questions or that I could have conversations. Or I could ask questions of, like, why do we do this? I don't really understand. Yeah. Um, I think that you have to under, you like, go learn about infant development. Like, mm-hmm. I always say all the residents in the hospital, I'm like, they really should be required to go spend a week in a daycare because mm. you want to learn real quick how to, <laughs> like, interact with children or what children are really like. Um, like go hang out in a daycare because it's a lot, mm-hmm. but like find opportunities, like, you know, go volunteer in the infant room in at your church, go volunteer, like to go babysit. Like I babysat mm-hmm. all through grad school, you know, like you have to understand typical, like what mm-hmm. is typical before you're going and working in this, like, you know, medical or even just like a kind of disordered where disordered becomes your typical like Mm -hmm. go find friends that have kids and hang out with the kids like and go sit with them at lunch and go feed them go help um I think you learn so much more from just being around children and getting comfortable like with holding a baby um I think that's something that we like underestimate is like a huge hindrance of our comfort with kids is our is our comfort with just like being around children or holding babies, you know, like you have to get past that point uh, to be able to do feeding, right? Like I, you have to be able to just pick up a baby and be confident in that part so that you can get to the feeding part. Um, I think, I think therapists are probably, I think they're becoming a little more like the walls are coming down a little bit. I think we're realizing that we're establishing ourselves more as, feeding and swallowing specialists and Mm -hmm. that there isn't a lack of kids to go around. There's lots of them. Um, and that somebody new coming into your NICU does not mean that like you're going to lose your job. Um, I, I, but yeah, I totally experienced it too, where people were kind of like, I'm the feeding therapist. Like, who are you coming in here? Um, I mean, I think that's, I think it's changing, but I think you just have to find, like, you just have to find therapists that are open-minded and like, take all the court, like, take all the courses. Yeah. Um, listen to the podcasts, um, <laughs> you know, follow the, 
follow people on social media and see what they're doing. But I think at the end of the day, go find kids to hang out with. Like, that is such, I think a that is mom gladly, <laughs> like be like, take my kid and beat them. I'm tired. You want to give them a bottle? Here you go. That is such a great point. I always say like, thank God to my uh, niece and nephew. I feel like they need to be at the bottom of my diploma for grad school because they <laughs> taught me. So I practiced so much on them throughout undergrad and yeah. grad school. It is such a great point. Like hang out with kids. Um, so mm-hmm. Jamie, Jamie, thank you so much for all that you have poured into me and my listeners today. I feel like I'm like that much closer to like growing myself in the area of feeding. And I'm so excited to like post this or everyone else to feel a little bit more comfortable about collaborating in this area and just like getting started with it. You've given us so many gems. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where can people find you and your practice and all of that? Um, I'm most active on Instagram, so I'm at Thriving Joy Therapy. Um, I try to be active there. <laughs> and then, I mean, that's, that's like pretty much where I'm at. And so from there, you can like catch up with what I'm doing, where I am, my links. I, you know, um, I admittedly don't always respond to emails as quick as I should. Um, but like I, from my last podcast, I have a couple of people that reached out to me like, Mm. I'm, I'm an open book. I'm not a closed book. I, you know, I'm here to help. I'm here to talk to people. I'm here to give people steps on how to like get into what they want to get into. And I'm I'm also willing to give the like honest, you know, real life that like, it's like feeding babies is not all glamour, right? You know, there's, there's some hard parts to that too. And not everybody's right for it, but I'm happy to like talk to anybody that's thinking about it or, you know, I'm here. Thank you so much for just being that in the field. I feel like everything is a course nowadays and like, don't get me wrong. That's, there's a place for that. Um, but I, and I do see some mentorship stuff in your future. I feel like that's going to be like your thing (laughs) eventually just saying, (laughs) you can tell, you can tell. (laughs) Well, I will definitely be signing up for that when she has that y'all. So (laughs) Well, again, thank you so much, Jamie, and we hope that you have a great, great day. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you feel more confident in your ability to collaborate and positively impact the lives of our clients. If you are wanting to learn more about guests on the podcast, be sure to check the show notes for important info, links, and more. Again, thank you for listening to the Coachree Corner. Make sure to follow us at Coachree Corner on Instagram and go get collaborating.